Hey, good evening, friends. Thank you so much for joining us for our Wednesday night study. I, uh, I'm so blessed to be here with you. Uh, thank you for taking time out of what I know is a, uh, a busy life with a busy schedule. And uh, thank you so much for uh, tuning in for our study tonight. I am, uh, I am very excited about tonight. Um, excited is the right word, I guess. Uh, challenged, uh, convicted. Uh, this, this section of Scripture in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, is, um, well, it is, I think it's one of the most uh, powerful sections of Scripture in this whole book and certainly has a weightiness that, um, well, uh, I don't know that there's any other sections of Scripture in the New Testament any more weighty, uh, certainly some equally, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, uh, it's all weighty, but these verses uh, seem to be, um, I don't believe in coincidence. Uh, I believe that, you know, we we took some weeks off, uh, a number of weeks, uh, where we didn't have a Wednesday night study because of my illness and other things. And so we come to these verses at the providence of God, at the, the timing of it is so providential that I have to believe that the Holy Spirit has brought us right here at this moment, at this time, to these verses, because He intended for us to be there. And so with that thought in mind, and believing that the Holy Spirit is, um, well, that He's directed us here. Now, I need you to do a couple of things before we pray. First of all, don't, don't drop by just for a second and leave. Stay till the end. I know you are busy. I know you have things to do. Uh, but it is really the conclusion of these verses where the real, uh, where the real challenge is. And uh, so I need you to do that. But even if you can't do that, would you do something right now for me? Uh, I mean it as much as I've ever asked you to do it before. Go down and hit the share button. This is a, um, as I said, a providential Holy Spirit derived moment. He has brought us, uh, if you've just tuned in, you, you may not know that I was gone for a number of weeks because my wife and I had the COVID virus and we didn't do a Wednesday night for a number of weeks. Uh, this whole thing got suspended and we come to these verses at this moment. I think you'll understand the significance of what I'm talking about when we get into these verses. In light of the things that are going on in our world, you have to see God's hand bringing us to this moment at this place at this time um, it, it's just not coincidence. So thank you. Hit the share button. You don't know all the people that might, uh, that might watch this. You might see it. Uh, it'll go out onto your uh, social media feed. And uh, we are talking about the admonition to love and the command to love and what that means, the weightiness of it. And um, we've, uh, I've never lived in a time where it's more necessary than it is right now. So thank you so much. Let's pray. Bow your heads and we'll get right to it. Father, thank you so much. Lord, I say it so often, um, and Lord, I mean it, because your word challenges me every time. But Lord, thank you. Once again, we say thank you for your word. Thank you that you, uh, you didn't leave us, Lord, in a purely subjective state. Lord, I love the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love his voice in my life. I love his direction. I love the strength of his conviction. I love all of that. Lord, I don't love living in this conviction at the moment, but I love what it does to me. And so, Father, I thank you for those. But, Lord, if we didn't have your word that the Holy Spirit uses to bring that conviction, if we were just left with, um, with our ability to discern what you're saying, uh, well, Lord, that's just not part of your plan. That's not the way you orchestrated this. You knew how we were made. You knew what we would need. And you did it as you do in all ways. You did it perfect. You gave us the word of God and you gave us the spirit of God. And those two working in collaboration. Well, Lord, uh, it, it just does exactly what you intended for it to do. And that's what I pray tonight. Let your word go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to accomplish, which is your promise, that your word will not come return back to you void. It's going to do what you intended for it to do. My prayer tonight, Father, is that it would do that upon all those that it's supposed to tonight. Give this short teaching, Father, the widest possible circulation, distribution. 
I pray that you would convict people that are tuning in right now to share this feed, call somebody, uh, save this video, uh, send it to someone. Lord, this world needs to hear these verses. Lord, I don't know that it's me. In fact, I know that it's not me they need to hear. And it's certainly not my name they need to know. They need to know you. They need to be convicted by the Spirit of God. The presence of God needs to saturate into the hearts of every man and every woman across this nation, across this world. Lord, I know that that's a grandiose prayer, and I don't think that that's going to happen because of tonight's lesson, Lord. But I know it's a part of what you'll do, and some will be reached. Holy Spirit, you accomplish your work. We have not because we ask not. So I ask, Father, send this out. Send it out. Send it out. You can do it. I ask you to do it. I also pray for your anointing, Lord, that any shortcoming in me, anything that I don't know, you certainly do. You said in John that when the Spirit would come, Lord, he would teach us all things. He would bring us into all truth. You said that you had more to teach us, but that we couldn't handle it or that the disciples couldn't handle it. And then you'd send the Holy Spirit to do it. Well, we're now recipients of the Holy Spirit. So bring forth truth. Let your word be powerful. Let it be that sharp two-edged sword that divides bone and marrow, soul and spirit, discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart, brings everything captive, Lord. You do all that it's supposed to do. Thank you. Use us tonight. Use this stream in Jesus' powerful name. Amen and amen. Once again, thank you so much for doing here, uh, for being here, and thank you so much. Uh, share this. Hold on. We're going to go through some powerful verses. I don't want you to miss a single one. Stay to the end. Share this stream. Invite people to come join us, uh, and uh, I think you'll be blessed. First John chapter four, verses seventeen through twenty-one. Uh, I apologize. The verses. Uh, well, well, yes, they will. The verses. Uh, some. Uh, I've got some extra verses that came in after these slides were made. Uh, but, uh, but bear with me. I think you'll be blessed in all of this. First John chapter 4, 17 through 21. I want to read all of those verses and then we'll look at them one at a time. Here we go. Beginning of verse 17. By the Holy Spirit's uh, inspiration, John writes this. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Mm. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Powerful, powerful verses. In order to get this in the right context, because in the first verse, John begins with a phrase that says, by this love is perfected in us. So the by this refers to the things that have just come before that. Uh, let's go back and let's read um, and, and once again, you won't have this on the television, but let me read it for you. Let me read verses 15 and 16. 1 John 15 and 16. Listen to what it says. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected. That's where verse 17 comes in. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are we in the world. Now, here's what's significant about that. It is this abiding that God abides in it. We abide in love and God abides in us. And that abiding process perfects love in us. Now, those are some really big words and some powerful words that God abides in us and that abiding, get this, perfects love. It doesn't, it doesn't bring love. It doesn't, it doesn't reveal love. It perfects it. God abiding in us and us abiding in God perfects love. That is such a, such a powerful, such a big word 
that I think we have to dig in there just a little bit. Um, the love is perfected in us. Now, I'm not there. Um, but God's not done with me yet and with you. I want to I want to show you something here about this word perfects. Uh, verse 17, by this is love perfected with us. Uh, it is the Greek word, and I don't know that you'll need this, but it, it, I think at times we, we're certainly going to see one in, um, in, um, in Sunday's message. There's a Greek word that has such a powerful context and meaning, but this Greek word is teleo, teleo, this word perfected, teleo. And it means, now get this, it means to be or to become, or for something to be, or for that thing to become thoroughly accomplished. It's that accomplished word. It's that idea that something is completely done. It, it got started, it got worked on, and it got done. That's what the perfected speaks to. Uh, this, this isn't so much a, and it is that, but it has, do you feel that it has more than just it was like, like we say, man, that is a perfect diamond, or that, that sunrise was perfect. We speak, and it has that connotation, but it has more than that. It has the connotation of its, we use the word perfection, without blemish, without defect. But this also has a process. This word speaks to a process, that it, is, it, 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 it became completely accomplished. Do you feel that? An accomplishment isn't sort of a... Uh, a, a packet that got dropped down upon you and everything was totally there, it speaks to the quality, but this Greek word also speaks to the process. This is something that started in you and it got completely accomplished. Um, I love that. I love that the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ is something that is process-oriented. That God's love is perfected with us. Now, uh, once again, I want to—I just want to dwell just for a moment on what it is that does that perfecting. It says that God is love. I'm just pulling together some pieces out of verses 15 and 16. That God is love. God abides in us, and because God is love, love abides in us, and that compilation of the nature of God, and that the nature of God now abides in us, and God is love, you can see that because God is love, God abides in us, love abides in us, and it gets perfected. Uh, once again, it is the presence, and I think this is indication, this is, this is powerful. Now, before I make this statement, let me, let me show you the second part of this verse. If I seem scattered, it's because I'm excited about this. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Let me comment on that part. You ever, and maybe you don't. If you don't, praise the Lord. His love is being perfected in you. Um, you ever have a moment where you are worried about what happens at your death? Am I ready? Am I, am I prepared? Do I need to be concerned? Do I, do, I, do I need to worry about what comes next? We sometimes say that that indicates a lack of faith. Okay. Um, I think that question, first of all, is a, a natural part of all of our process with the Lord. We look upon ourselves. We look upon heaven and his righteousness and those things. We know that we still live in a fallen nature and we still struggle with things. And you go, oh my goodness, am I there? If you remember when we started tonight, in my prayer, I talked about that there is this sort of one-two punch in the pieces, in the participants, in our development that God left us. The Holy Spirit. But I think we all understand that there is a subjective nature to our ability, not to the Holy Spirit, He's absolute, but to our ability to perceive Him correctly and to move in accordance with His, with His direction because 
within us is not only the Holy Spirit, there's also our flesh. And we are pulled and we struggle to, okay, is that me? Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that, and, and that's the nature of our humanity. We dwell in these bodies as both spirit and flesh. And those two wage war. So there's the subjective nature. But the Word of God brings a non-subjective nature. It's solid. It's tangible. We see it. We hold it. We read it. And it's the, it's the cooperation. It's the, it's the conspiracy. That's a negative term for most of us. But it's the conspiring of those two. The solidity. The non-subjective nature of God's Word. Made alive by the living Spirit of God, which takes logos, which is written word, and makes it rhema, living word, in us. And the purposes of God are established. Now, this is talking about something, another thing, that in, in reference to our salvation, takes the subjective out of it. You want to know where you are in God? You want to know the level of your spiritual maturity? You want to check and see if you're advancing as you should? You want to measure? You want to measure? I, I need to measure sometimes how much of God. Lord, are, are you in there? Is that you? Are you working with me? John says, fine. Here it is. Do you love? It removes the subjective and it gives us a solidity in our ability to check Does God live in me? Because if God lives in you, you have to love. Now, once again, the presence of love, and we've seen this throughout John's book, the presence of love serves as an indicator of our state in God. If we have this love in us, then we have confidence for the day of judgment. If I'm being transformed to love the unlovable, if I feel myself being drawn away from my natural indication, which is to love those who love me, remember that? What good is it, Jesus said, if you only love, the, love those who love you? That's, he said, the sinners, the tax collectors, the evil people in the world do that. Sinners do that. He said the real measurement is can you love those who don't love you? Is the love of God because God loved us while we were yet sinners. Now there's lots in this book that speaks about loving your brother. And there is absolutely an indication that that's believers. But we're going to look at some scriptures here in a moment that speak of this love being perfected in us. And the reality of that is that when it reveals itself, it's a great litmus test that confirms to us that God's working in us. And John says that the knowledge of that and the reality of that and the revelation of that and the understanding and the solidity of that gives us confidence for the day of judgment. See how that works? Man, I see God working in me. I love people I didn't used to love. I love people that don't love me. I love those who don't deserve that I would love them. I love them in a way that confirms to me that God abides in me. And that gives me confidence for the day of judgment when I stand before him. I'm going to need his grace. And I know I have it. I know that God is working in me because love is being perfected. It's a great non-subjective way for us to know that God's working in us. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Listen to this last part of this verse. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now, there are two trains of thoughts about who the he is. Is that the Father or is that Jesus? I believe it's Jesus. So I'm going to comment in that regard. As Jesus is in the world, so are we. Now, how was Jesus in the world? How did he live in the world? What did he do? We are in the world as Jesus is. That's what John says. Now, we're drawing into the circumstances in the world. Now, and let me, I have never been good about dancing around the elephant in the room. I just haven't. And there was a thought, if you, if you heard my sermon on Sunday about the heart must change, speaking about the racial inequality in our nation, I just want to give an absolute 
I just want you to know for any of our black brothers and sisters that watch this or see this, and for those of you that are Caucasian, that you're white or something other than something other than black, I always feel incredibly ill-equipped to speak on anything like that. Why? Because I'm a white guy, and I've been a white guy my whole life, and I haven't suffered for a minute not I haven't suffered for a minute the things that are at times uh, or, or all the time um, pressed upon our black brothers and sisters in our world or Hispanics or any of the other minorities that deal with circumstances injustice because they're not white. So I'm, I'm sort of an empty shirt. However, I'm just saying what the word says, all right? I can do that. I can't speak of experiences, but I can, I hope, rightly divide God's word. But it, it always feels that it's like me preaching on Mother's Day. Man, I don't know anything about being a mother. I always feel I'm a little ridiculous. So I confess that and I get that. But the word is the word. So here it is, all right? We are called to be in the world as Jesus is. Believers are called to live in this world like Jesus did. Jesus lived persecuted for who he was. He lived transgressed. He lived bearing a cross. The empty part to me is for me as a white guy to tell black people that they're supposed to live persecuted, live transgressed, live bearing a cross. I don't have any. That's not what I'm saying. And let me address that for a minute so that you'll understand where I fall on where I fall and where I think the body of Christ is supposed to fall. Does that mean that Christ followers are to be complacent and unengaged with social reform and change? We're just supposed to love everybody. We're just sort of like the, and I use this illustration. Remember the Pillsbury Doughboy? They, you know, they poke him. He's just happy all the time. They poke him. He just laughs. Is that, is that what it means to be a Christ follower? Absolutely not. Without any hesitation, I say, no, that's not what this means. This doesn't mean that we just sit back and watch injustice or crime or, or someone being mistreated be mistreated. And we're, because we're, listen, I can't, I can't do anything about that guy that's hurting somebody else because, well, I'm supposed to love that guy. And you see what it means? That, no, that's not what this is speaking of at all. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. Because we love, we have to engage. We have to be, we have to be advocates for social justice. We have to be advocates for reform. We have to stand up. However, it does prescribe the motivation and the attitude and the manner in which we engage. We have to do that like Jesus did. We have to. Uh, we have to. We have to engage. We have to be strong. We have to be full of conviction. We have to be motivated, but we have to respond. Nobody more passionate than Jesus, but we have to respond as he did. We're constrained by that. Verse 18, let me move on. Remember, we're talking about not being afraid of the day of judgment. All right. Verse 18 says, there is no fear. Now, we use this verse a lot, and we use it out of its context. So let's hear it in its context. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, the context of this is that there is no fear in love. We, we sometimes say, listen, if you're afraid of anything, it's because you don't understand how much God loves you. Because he's going to take care of everything. That's not what this says. Remember... This love has been perfected by abiding in God. And John in verse 17 says that the thing that, the thing that he's talking about fearing here in verse 18 is judgment. Fear of the judgment. And he says that because the love of God has been perfected in us, we no longer fear that because we know that God's in us. We know we're in relationship. We know we're in right standing with God. Then we hear verse 18. There is no fear in love because you abide in God and love is being perfected in you. But that doesn't mean that you'll never feel any fear of anything. 
Rather, you don't fear the judgment. That's the context that verse 18 is appropriate. I don't have to fear the judgment. Why? Because I abide in God. I'm in relationship with the Father. His grace has been poured out on me. How do you know that? I know you say that, but how do you know it? Because I see the transformative work of God in me that's causing me to love people that I didn't used to love. I wouldn't do that naturally. Nobody does that naturally. That's a supernatural work of God's presence in my life. The love is not some condemning thing. Listen, if you, if you really loved God and you really had God in you, you wouldn't fear anything. No, I fear lots of things. You will too. You should fear some things at times. The context here is that because love is being revealed, I know I'm in relationship with God. I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me and I don't fear the judgment. The fear here is in reference to the judgment. So don't ever be condemned by 1 John 4.18 if you feel fear of illness or you fear uh, you feel fear of the loss of a job or, or relationships. Listen, there is fear in this body. And just because you're in relationship with the Lord doesn't mean you're not going to feel any fear. This specifically, in this context, is talking about fear of the judgment. You don't have to fear that. So I think that's good to understand 1 John 4.18 in its context. There is no fear in love. And listen, when you hear it in its context, when it's talking about the judgment, the verse makes complete sense. doesn't bring any condemnation. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, let me add, of the judgment. For fear has to do with punishment. See, it makes sense now. Now you know what the second half of the verse means. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fears what? Fears the judgment. Remember, that's what verse 17 was talking about. In this context, the fear is fear of facing judgment without the grace of God, which has been provided, which is our only hope for any of us. In the context, love that has been perfected by God's abiding in us and us abiding in love casts out fear of the judgment. The presence of a Love that is being perfected is once again a litmus test. It's, a, it's an indicator that believers can use to give them great confidence of the coming judgment that everyone will face. But if you, that's the whole context of this. John is talking about a love that is, uh, and he's used several things, but right now he's using love as an indication of the presence of God in our life. Um, I don't know, I, I, I think I love that. Now, um, this removes, watch this. You, I, I get, and I don't, I don't hear it a lot, but it is with some regularity that people ask me, Pastor, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know? How do I know that I'm saved? That's exactly the question John was answering. Okay, you want to check and see if you're saved? He's done several, but let me just use the one in 1 John chapter 4. Do you love beyond, let me put it in the context of what, how Jesus said it, do you love beyond just those who love you? No, I don't. I don't like people that don't love me or don't like me. Somebody doesn't like me, I don't like them. Somebody does me wrong, I don't like them. That's not talking about a consistent, you know, you're not, you're not supposed, oh, I just love that people treat me badly. No. What's the trend of your life? What's the trend of your heart? I don't like people that don't like me. I'm an eye for an eye kind of a guy. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Okay, you should be worried about your salvation. You should wonder whether you're saved. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because John is teaching us a non-subjective way to measure your relationship, your abiding in God and Him abiding in you. Is love being perfected in you? If it is, you got, you got nothing to fear because God's working in you. That is, how, why does John use this? Because that is so counterintuitive to our flesh. It is so supernatural. It is so a revelation of God in you. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you being transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the washing and the regeneration of the word? Is the spirit of God manifesting in you? And John says, here's one of the ways that that's going to show up. 
you're going to love. Man, that is so powerful. You feel the confidence that comes from that. It takes the subjectivity out of it, and it puts a real, real ability for you to go, hey, uh, you know, a year ago I couldn't stand to be whatever, and now I feel God draw. It's not absolute, and it's not instantaneous, like I was zero, now I'm 100. No, but I feel the Spirit drawing me more. He's working on me. He is perfecting that love in me, oh, that is so good. That is so good. It's not only good to know, it's good to live. Marriage gets better. Work gets better. Relationships get, life gets better. And what's our motto? Making life better. All right, be perfected in God's love. Um, it removes that subjective nature of am I saved. However, watch this. There is another thing, and I just want to make sure that you get this. There's another way to not fear. There is another way to have no fear, to not worry about it, to not fear the judgment. We see it in the world. I just don't want the enemy to trip you up like this, or by this. Uh, total godlessness can also produce this. You can, you can reprobate your heart. You can callous the part of you that addresses God and thinks of God and is concerned about God. You can completely burn that part out of you. You can move so far away from the nature of God in you, and you can. We've talked about free will and your ability to choose, and you can choose to run from God. You can shut off your receptors to the Holy Spirit. You do it again and again. You can, you can silence the voice of the Holy Spirit in you, and you can reprobate your heart. And when that happens, um, you can get to where you won't fear God at all on this earth. Here's the issue with that, though. Everybody dies. Everybody, the Scripture says, dies once and then faces the judgment. And in that moment, that the reality where the flesh part of you is no more, and you are now completely spirit, completely alive, but completely spirit. And you stand before God. Corinthians talks about that. We apply the verse in 1 Corinthians to believers. Now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But that verse is also applicable to unbelievers who have reprobated their heart, who have lived a godless life, who have completely calloused that part, who have lived with no fear of the judgment. You can get there. You can live in sin and completely not care any longer about what God's Word says. But the issue with that is that one day we die, all of us, or the rapture. Either way, there's coming a moment when we will all shed these mortal bodies and you'll be left as only spirit and we will stand before God. That's what John's writing about in 1 John chapter 4. And in for those who have lived a godless life, even though they didn't have any fear of God. In fact, the scripture in Romans says they, they didn't maintain the knowledge of God. They chose not to maintain the knowledge of God. They reprobated their hearts. You can live in that state and live without fear. But one day this flesh is going to be gone and you'll be all spirit. You're going to stand before God and it won't be based upon faith. It'll be sight. And it'll be incredibly fearful. You and I, however, live without having seen anything. And we're going to read that in a moment. In faith, believing God and His Word. And we have great confidence because love is being revealed in us. Listen to, there's some verses that speak of this transformation. Love does not abide in those, but rather evil and depravity that have calloused themselves. But listen to what some other verses say. I don't have these on the screen, but listen. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Great confidence. That's my dad. That's my father. No, I'm not afraid. I can't wait to go see him. Because that's my Father. That Spirit is the Spirit that lives in you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, speaking about what, what, uh, what Christ's atonement and what our new covenant does, he says, And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. 
That's not you and I. We no longer have fear of judgment. We live in the presence of God. Let's look at verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We're getting there. Hold on. It's about to get deep. It's already pretty deep, but it's about to get even deeper. 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. We've talked about this many times in this study of 1 John. That it is so incredibly important that we remember. That we not allow the passage of time or the circumstances of life to so fill our mind. Or the philosophies of this world. This is the real battle. The real battle is right here. Keeping Christ's sacrifice for you and for me in the forefront of our minds. What does it do to us? Causes us to love. We love because he first loved us. What's the expression of that love? The greatest expression? He gave his life for us. He was obedient even unto death, death on the cross. We, we said it a moment ago, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus followed through with the Father's desire by laying down willingly. The scripture says that no one took his life. He gave it. He willingly laid it down for you and I. And as long as we keep that expression of love that Christ made for us in the forefront of our mind, we love others. It's impossible. It's impossible for a spirit-filled believer to live through the lens of Christ's inestimable sacrifice. The value of Christ's sacrifice kept in front of our lives and in front of our minds and in our heart and we dwell upon it, it will alter everything. I say it this way, faith alters behavior. Faith is that understanding and that acknowledgement of Christ's sacrifice for us. Uh, Once again, we go back to remembering as the lens through which we see the world and ourselves in regard to the Father. We love, why? Because Christ first loved us. If you can keep that in the forefront of your mind, it will affect every part of your life. If you can keep Christ's sacrifice for you that you didn't deserve, that you couldn't earn, and you can keep it in its proper place. Christ, the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and mercy, the the sinless Son of God, the third person of the Godhead, the, the Word who became flesh. Into, I mean, doesn't matter what name you give Him. The One who hovered, the Spirit of God who hovered over the face of the water. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we beheld His glory. I mean, you get all of that, you get Him high and exalted, and then you see Him dying for you out of His love, and it will affect everything. You, you, you won't be able to do You won't be able to do a halfway job for somebody. You won't be able to cheat your neighbor. You won't be able to lie. You won't be able to. Do you have the potential? Yes. But if you keep that sacrifice in the forefront of your mind and and print it upon your heart, the only time it's possible for a true believer to slip into sin and to maintain a sinful lifestyle is when they have removed the sacrifice of Christ from the forefront of their heart and mind. You have to put Jesus. You have to compartmentalize. And that's the danger. Man, I've, I've felt it. I don't know if I've ever said it any more concisely than I'm saying it right now, but I have preached parts of this. That's the danger of Christians who compartmentalize their life. This is my, this is my church section. This is my work section. This is my recreation section. This is my money section. This is my marriage section. My kid. No, 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 no. Christ gets overlaid over all of it. He is the Lord of all of our lives, marriage, work, money, recreation, life, witness, all of it. You get that in front and you live in the sense of God's sacrifice for you. And it affects everything and it certainly makes it so that you love those. We love because he first loved us. Listen to verse 20. Two verses now. Really, all of that has been sort of introduction for these two verses. Just powerful stuff. Now listen to verse 20. 
If anyone, if you're watching this right now, type the word anyone. Type the word anyone in the comments. I'm, I'm watching the stream. I've got, it, I've got it turned down. But type that in there for me right now. Anyone. Just type anyone so that I'll know you heard me. If anyone. Doesn't matter who your mom and dad was. Doesn't matter how long you come to church or how regularly you come to church. Doesn't matter what your degrees are in. Doesn't matter what church you pastor. Doesn't matter how long you've... It doesn't matter anything. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother. Wow. Now listen to this. He is a liar. Wow. Man, that's heavy. If you say, I love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar. We'll get to the second part. This harkens back, and this phrase, there's, a, there's a, an interesting literary thing here that you almost hear Jesus speaking through John. It's a, it's a literary phrase that Jesus used. It's a, it's, it's a grouping of words that Jesus used, I don't know, about seven or eight times in his teachings that the disciples that John would have heard. And it, you, you, you feel the influence of Jesus upon John. That's what I'm trying to say. Jesus with regularity said, if anyone, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He used it over and over, that phrase, if anyone. It was a divider. It was, a, it was something that Jesus did over and over. Now listen, this, this not only the phrase and the, the syntax of it, but it harkens back to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. There's a story, and many of you, as I've watched, those of you that are, uh, that are logged on, and my, I see my sister-in-law. Hi, Liz. Tell David I said hi. That's exciting. I've got to be careful. My family's watching. All right? Um, tell David I want to come to Arkansas and go fishing soon. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've got to get back to Matthew, or back to John. I'm, uh, see, I'm all discombobulated here, but... Uh, but um, Listen, this verse 20 harkens back to a parable that Jesus used, a story that he told. In, um, it's in Matthew. Uh, I want to go to the version that's in Luke. In Matthew, a man asked Jesus, Lord, what's the greatest commandment or what do I have? It's said a couple of different ways. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Luke's account of that, the man goes on and he says, oh, Lord, I've done this. Tell me who my neighbor is. Uh, let me read that account in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. You know this story, but maybe we've got people that are watching it that don't know this story. All right, so I want to read it. Verse uh, 25 of Luke chapter 10. This won't come up on the... Uh, Anyone, uh, this won't come up on the television, but let me read it for you. Luke 10, 25 through 37 says this. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So he's, he's testing Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the man, answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now you remember this story? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road a Jewish priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. Now, if you don't understand this, Samaritans were a group of people who were, and let me just say it, they were, they were half-breeds to the Jewish people. They had a lineage that was half-Jewish, and they say it simply, half Gentile. They were intermixed with 
Gentile believers or Gentile people. And as such, the Jewish people looked upon them as uh, unclean, defiled. Um, so much so that there's another story where Jesus is with the disciples and he goes into Samaria, a region, not, not, it's on the, just, it's not, it's not, it's in the Israel, it's in the nation of Israel, a region within the nation of Israel that were, that was Samaria. And the Jewish law was so negative towards, not the, not God, but the Jewish interpretation of what God would have his people to be in the time before Jesus came to the earth as the Messiah had gotten so perverted that they believed that if you walked through the area of Samaria, you were unclean and you couldn't worship in the temple. You had to go through the ceremonial cleansing in order to be able to worship in the temple again, just from being in Samaria. And Jesus had gone to Samaria, and it's in that, it's at this particular time that he sits down at the well and the woman comes and Jesus begins to minister to her and just reveals to her that he is the Christ. And it's there that he says, look, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask him to give you water. He's at a well. And if you drank that water, you would never thirst again. It's, it's, it's that place and it's that group of people that Jesus uses when he talks, not about a priest who was the man's neighbor and not about a Levite, but he says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, this guy that's supposed to be a defiled, half-breed reject. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the management hurt. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever more you spend I will pay you when I come back. And then Jesus he's told that story to this young lawyer or to this lawyer. And in verse 36 he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go. And do likewise. You go and don't be a priest and don't be a Levite. You act like the Samaritan. Now, back to verse 20. Jesus says, if anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother. We, we use the word hate in a, only a few. For us, it's like, I want to murder you. But the sense of what John is saying here is not that. It's more akin to fails to show the compassion, fails to live out for his neighbor, for his brother. Because this word brother in 1 John 4.20 is also translated neighbor. That's why I use that story. There are some debate as to whether this is only those in the body of Christ or if this is just speaking about people the way Jesus did in Luke. I believe it's speaking about people. you got to love. You've, you and I, who are abiding in God, have to be like the Samaritan who came upon this man and you, you, don't, you don't know who he is. You, you don't know what he might be or might believe. He's unconscious. He's in need. And those in the body of Christ who are being perfected in love, we simply respond to the need. We simply demonstrate the love of God irrespective of what others around us might be doing or what the religious culture might say we're supposed to do. The priest and the Levite, they, didn't, they were the religious of the day. And it's this Samaritan who Jesus said is actually the man's neighbor. We are being perfected. Now, Jesus, let me go back to verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he doesn't love. He's a liar. Listen, for he who does not love his brother, watch this, whom he has seen, 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. What does that mean? Let me, let me make it simple. If you don't have the ability to love that which is tangible and right in front of you, you'll never be able to love that which. And do you remember earlier in this chapter, one of the things that John says is that God is invisible earlier on in these verses. And if you don't have the ability, if God abiding in you doesn't manifest itself enough for you to love those around you, there's no way you can love something invisible that's intangible, that can't be touched, that, can't, that is loved by faith. We'll be talking about that on Sunday. I just want that to dwell on you. If you can't love those around you, maybe in your own home, you say, well, they don't, they don't, they don't treat me right. <laughs> I'm not talking about what the world or the culture or your heritage might tell you. I'm telling you what God's Word says we're to be. And remember, this is a measurement of whether or not you abide in God and He abides in you. Let me move on. Finally, verse 21. And this, man, and this commandment, He sort of cuts through all of the, I don't know if there is any, I don't feel much in here, but He cuts through all of the, all of the indecision and all of the gray matter. And John says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Whoever loves God must love his brother. You can, maybe you want to, parse words and say, look, that's brothers talking about Christians and that's, that's just those who are like me. I brought in the story of the Good Samaritan to demonstrate the heart of Jesus and the heart of the Father in relationship to those outside the religious organization. Samaritan was considered by the Jewish people to be defiled. Jesus says, look, that guy was more loving than those inside. It's set in juxtaposition on purpose by the Lord. I think that in this day that we live in, with the struggle that's going on in our world, I said it's Sunday, I do think that we ought to have good legislation. I think that we ought to have good laws I'm, I'm act, I mean, I, I vote. I'm, I'm engaged in those processes. I've many times thought, I need to run for office. <laughs> but there's a thing more powerful that if you and I, as the body of Christ, would do it, legislation would become meaningless. What the Pharisee or what the priests and the Levite do would become irrelevant. What the Republicans or the Democrats do would become irrelevant. They would become a, a byword. Why? Because if the body of Christ just... And, and let, me, let me expand it to the way that, that it's sort of used in our nation. Those who claim the name of Jesus. If every one of them would begin to love like the Samaritan did. We change the world. We change the world. There would be no force on this planet. You know, because darkness is always overcome by light. Hate is always overcome by love. Why? Because we're wired to want it. We're wired to respond to it in a good way. We're wired to see it and recognize it and be drawn towards it. you got to get a pretty far way down the tube of life to be drawn towards hate. you got to get pretty far down the slope of Satan, of hell, 
of depravity to be drawn to injustice and to want to be that. But it's hardwired. Come on, church. Come on. If you're hearing me today, it is hardwired into the heart of every individual to be drawn towards love and justice and righteousness. People want it. People that don't even know that it's the right way are drawn to it. Listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating that a single person that is peacefully advocating for change in our nation should stop and just sit. Oh, no, there needs to be a 10. I mean, it just there needs to be more. But the most powerful force the most effective. You say, Pastor, why do you say that? I have to say it. I have to believe it because that's what word, the Word says. The most transformational thing for a person, every person, is a genuine demonstration of God's unconditional love pointed towards them. And that's you and me. If you say you love God and you don't love those around you, you're a liar. You say, Pastor Roy, that's harsh. I didn't say it. The Holy Spirit did through John. It's a powerful teaching. It's a convicting teaching. And it's one that gets right up next to me. I can't say I love God if I don't genuinely love my wife. Come on, those, that's those closest to me. Love my kids. Love my church. Love my community. Love the people around me. Sacrifice for them. That's what we're called to do. And that's what John, chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 17-21 through 21 says. It is a measurement of who you are in God. You abiding in God, then His love is being perfected in you. That love will eventually bring you to the place that you say, I love God and I love my brother and my sister. And who is that? People in the church only? I don't think that. I think it's, it's people that we come in contact with. Everyone benefits from the love of Christ. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here tonight. That's a heavy study. Uh, we're going to eventually move to some, I don't know, a little lighter things, but I think this is a timely thing, and I'm going to keep preaching it. Uh, we have to love. We have to care about those around us. We've got to do it without reservation. We've got to do it without, uh, just, just without hesitation. You've got to love. You've got to find needs. You've got to act upon it. Let me say that, too. Actions. It's the actions that speak. It's not just that you say. You gotta. You gotta act. You gotta demonstrate that love. You gotta find ways to demonstrate the love of God to those around you. And uh, it's the action of loving that speaks so much louder than just words. So love those around you in your actions. Uh, hey, listen. Uh, we'll be back here Sunday morning. If you haven't heard already, we are now back in the building. We're back for Sunday morning church this Sunday is an even bigger deal because of Madison County ordinances. We are now not limited to 50%. We are now at 100%. We'll still be giving out masks. We'll still be uh, hand sanitizing. We'll still be doing those things. We're still not quite to the place where we're having children's ministry. So still no children's ministry. We will still be streaming. So we would love to have you Sunday morning here. We are now streaming both services, 830 and 1030. But here in the building with us where we can now fill this room again. Uh, you don't have to worry about whether or not there'll be a seat for you. There will be. We're at 100% occupancy, and uh, we can be, and uh, we'll still practice the safe guidelines. There's also, if you haven't already seen it, we've done a little short survey to find out where you are. What we would like to do is as soon as the guidelines give us the ability to, to do so, and in some ways they already do, we'd love to get our youth ministry and our Wednesday night adult classes online, and then as soon as we can, uh, our children's ministry operating, and there's a short survey uh, that you can uh, find on the church website, and you can find, uh, it's been emailed to those that we have email links to. We'll continue to put it out there. It takes about a minute to do, and it would be a great blessing if you'd go find that. Uh, you can find it at abundant.church, and uh, I tell you what, I'll find it and share it on my Facebook page, and uh, go and do that survey because it's, uh, it's a great message to us about your comfort level with doing those things just because the government says we can 
the state, uh, the local municipalities say we can, we still need to know what you feel about that so that we can move in the right order. So go find that. That would be a great blessing. If you haven't already joined Pastor Roy's Bible reading group, please do so every morning. I post scriptures uh, about 15 minutes of your time. I'll take you all the way through the Bible in a year. And remember, it's the Holy Spirit and the Word that God uses to speak to us and to shape our lives. So you can find that on my Facebook or just search Pastor Roy's Bible Reading Group on Facebook. You'll find that. And we look forward to being with you either live on Sunday morning, 8.30 and 10.30, 10.30 to Wood River Campus, or uh, via the stream, um, 8.30 and 10.30, uh, right here at the church's Facebook page where you're watching this, or on YouTube, or on uh, the church's Facebook page. And uh, then we'll be back here uh, next Wednesday with senior adults and with another teaching from the first, from the fifth chapter of the book of 1 John. Uh, remember, our children's ministry is still producing great content for your kids. That's posted so that you can use that on Sunday mornings as well. And we've made it possible so that if your kids come to church with you, uh, bring some headphones, bring something that they can watch that on so that they can enjoy uh, the kids' service while we're enjoying the adult service. God bless you. Be blessed. Demonstrate the love of God to those. Act upon it uh, this week. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Uh, we'll see you soon right back here. Bye-bye.